Our second reading this morning comes to us from the Gospel according to John. We're going to be reading from the fifth chapter, verses 1 through 9. Let's listen now to what God's Spirit is saying to us. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool, called in Hebrew Bethesda, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. This is the word of the Lord. You pray with me. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts on this your holy word be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us and through us as your people. Amen. So we are continuing a sermon series that's called Into the Mess. We're looking at people in the New Testament whose lives were messy. They were sick, they were grieving, they were angry, they were lost. And in every case, Jesus entered into the mess of their lives and brought healing and hope. But the one thing that we've seen in this series is that people heal in different ways. The way Jesus deals with a man possessed with demons is different from the way he treats Mary Magdalene or Simon Peter or Zacchaeus. Now, what's amazing about Jesus is that he is able to quickly determine the root cause of all of these different, excuse me, I've got to watch my hand motions here, uh, of all of these different conditions. It's sort of like he sees through people. He knows exactly what they need, and he gives them that unique thing. And I wanted to start my sermon by pointing this out because we're going to be looking today at another healing that is unique. And on the surface, it may sound a little harsh. Because Jesus is going to tell a disabled man that he actually has the power to heal if he wants to. And what you need to know is that this is not going to be the solution for every person with a disability, but it is the solution for this one. Now, I want to begin by painting a picture of this scene. It is a wonderful story that has so many fascinating details about the ancient world. The scene is a pool in Jerusalem. And when I say pool, I'm not talking about a place to do laps. I'm talking about a place of healing. People went to the Bethesda pool because they believed that they could heal there in the waters. And there was a particular belief that there was an invisible healing force that worked through this water. This invisible force made the water move And when the water began to move, it meant that the healing power in the water was activated, but there was a catch. Only the first person in the water would be healed. So I want you to imagine a group of people who are all focused very attentively on a pool 
of still water. They're waiting to see the water move. Now, when they catch a glimpse of the ripples, they all jump forward at the same time, trying to be the first person to touch the water, because if you waited and you went in after the first person, the water at that point had lost its power. The first person would be healed, but you would not. Now, there is a clear implication that this was a superstition. I'll say more about this in just a moment. But it's also clear that people believed it. One of those people is a man who has been ill for 38 years. We don't know exactly what his problem was. It seems to be some kind of disability because when John describes the other people at the pool, he says that some were lame, some were paralyzed, some were blind. Here's the point. This man has been trying to get into this water for a very long time, maybe even years. But every time he tries, somebody beats him to it. And again, we don't know exactly why. Maybe his disability prevents him from moving quickly enough, but the man keeps failing. And you see, this is why his situation seems odd. Because he clearly has faith that these waters are the one thing that will make him well, and yet he's never the first one in. He's so close, and yet so far. John says that he's lying on a mat right next to the pool. He is inches away from water that he thinks is going to heal him, and yet He's never the first one in. Week after week, month after month, so close and yet so far. It's so odd that it makes you wonder, is something else going on? Is it really possible that this man would never be the first one into the water? I mean, maybe the first time. Okay, maybe the second time, maybe the third time. But the fact that he's been there for month after month begs the question, does he even want to be healed? Now, you see, this is where we get into tricky territory because, of course, no one wants to accuse a disabled person of being the problem. But what if they are? Is this man merely a victim? I mean, in some ways, I'm sure he is a victim. I'm sure it is very hard to have his illness. Again, we don't know exactly what it is, but certainly in, in a way, he is a victim of circumstance. And yet, there's something so odd about the fact that he sits there day after day after day after day, never doing the one thing he came there to do, which is to get into the water and heal. And so we have a picture of someone who is stuck. He won't walk away from the water, but he won't go into it either. Somehow he's stuck in his illness. It's almost like the illness is doing something for him, like it's serving him in a way to stay sick. Now we know this because Jesus comes to him, and again, it's like he can see right through him. Jesus doesn't ask his name. He doesn't ask him about his disability. He doesn't make small talk. Jesus cuts right to the heart of this man's condition. He asks him the most direct and, frankly, provocative question. Do you want to be made well? Do you even want to heal? It's such an obvious question that the man doesn't seem to register it. He doesn't answer Jesus directly. He doesn't say, oh, yes, I want to be healed, or no, I really don't want to be healed. Instead, he deflects. 
He says, you know, my problem is that no one will put me into the water when the water is stirred up. And you see, this is even more evidence that the man doesn't really want to change because Jesus is asking him about him. Do you want to be healed? But instead of talking about himself, he starts pointing the finger at other people. The problem is that nobody else is going to help me into the water. That's why I can't heal because I'm dependent on other people and they won't help me. It's their fault that I am the way I am. Now, there is a term for this attitude. It's called a victim mentality. And interestingly, victim mentalities have little to do with external events. And I say this because I know many very healthy people who have pretty good lives who nonetheless have victim mentalities. And I also know many people who are disabled who, and who have had very hard lives who do not see themselves as victims. And so whether you have a victim mentality or not actually has little to do with the objective reality of whether or not you have been victimized. It has everything to do with how you view yourself. Are you a passive victim of life or, or are you an active participant in your own existence? This is what Jesus is trying to get this man to see, that he's stuck because he views himself as helpless. He's stuck because he thinks the only way he'll, he'll heal is if somebody else takes the initiative. So here's what Jesus says. You don't need anybody's help. You can go directly to God. Now pick up your mat and walk. And the man does. The man's healed. So what's going on here? What's going on here is that Jesus takes a rocket ship to the heart of this man's problems just immediately. I mean, here's a man who has been ill for 38 years. Most people would either feel sorry for him or they'd dismiss him as a lost cause. And it seems like the man has begun to view himself in the same way. He has accepted that this is his life, sitting by the water, but never actually going into it. Jesus sees what other people don't, that the man has become addicted to being helpless. Now, maybe this is a little confusing, so let me give you a few other examples. There's an old joke about psychotherapy. How many psychotherapists does it take to change a light bulb? The answer is only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. Now, therapists will tell you this, that it doesn't really matter how good they are. They could be the greatest healer in the world. If the patient doesn't want to change, there's nothing they can do for them. I mean, maybe they can tweak some things around the edges, but deep transformative healing is not going to happen unless the person wants it to happen, desires to be changed. And the inverse is also true. Many people wonder why they, why they are so miserable. Why am I so stuck? Why do I ruminate over old grudges? Why am I so defensive all of the time? Why can't I love myself? I want to suggest something that is going to sound provocative. Maybe the reason you hold on to anger is because you like it. Maybe the reason you don't forgive is because you like judging people. Does that sound cruel? I don't think Jesus is trying to be cruel. I think he's actually trying to liberate this man to set him free from feeling helpless so that he can be an active agent in his own life. 
And the only way to do that is to find something else that he likes more than the feeling of being a victim. And so he asks him, do you want to heal? Do you desire to change? Now, maybe the honest answer for a lot of us is sort of. I, I think I sort of want to heal, but I don't know, maybe I like my anger more than I want to heal. Okay, that's an honest place to start. At least we know what we're dealing with now. At least you know that you're not a victim. Did someone hurt you in the past? Absolutely, I'm sure that happened to you. But you're the one now who's holding on to that resentment. Nobody's making you do that. That's your choice. And you see, this brings me to my final point. The only way to make lasting change is to find something you like more than you like your anger or your victimhood or whatever the other thing is that you're holding on to. Something better than those things, something better than feeling sorry for yourself, something more exciting, more fulfilling, more beautiful than the feeling you get from staying stuck. Now this is kind of a new way to think about change that you don't change because you feel guilty. You don't change because you think you're supposed to. You don't even change because you're sick and tired of your life the way it is. I mean, that might be the first step, but eventually you're going to have to find something you love more than the thing you loved before. There was a wonderful essay written over 200 years ago by a Scottish Presbyterian minister named Thomas Chalmers. This essay is called The Expulsive power of a new affection. And the title sums up the thesis that new affections expel old affections. And the only way to get rid of old affections is not just by getting rid of them, but by bringing a new affection into your life. Chalmers says that the human heart has to have something to love. That's just the way the heart is. The heart has to have something that it clings to. The only real question is, what is that going to be? What are you going to serve? What are you going to have faith in? What will your God be? Because the truth is that everybody has faith in something. This is something that I try to impress upon my atheist friends, that even atheists have faith because faith is not an intellectual belief. Faith is whatever our hearts cling to, whatever we trust, whatever we serve, whatever we love. Now, if you discover that you are loving the wrong thing, the natural question is, how do you change? And this is where Chalmers is so brilliant because what he says is that you cannot change simply by giving up an old passion. You have to have a new passion. Let's say you love alcohol. I mean, you could just try to give it up cold turkey. Maybe you'd make it a few days. But unless you replace that desire with a new desire, you're always gonna go back to the alcohol because there'll be a void within you that has to be filled by something. You may have heard that the only way to heal from a bad relationship is with a good relationship. There's actually some truth to that. In its most poignant form, what I've seen sometimes is that parents who experience the worst loss imaginable, which is the loss of a child, can't really heal until they find a new relationship, sometimes a new child that they love. Maybe they give birth to a child and through loving that child, their hearts become soft again. 
Maybe they become a godparent to somebody else's child. The point is that they can't really heal the past unless they find something new to love. Can you see why Jesus asked the man, do you want to heal? He sees that the man's problem was not actually his body. It actually goes so much deeper than that. His problem went all the way down to the level of desire. What was this man going to give his heart to? And now we come to the deepest question of all. Is there anything that you can give your heart to that will not ultimately disappoint you? The Christian answer to this, of course, is that there is only one thing, and that is God. Let's come back to our story. So right before Jesus meets the man at the pool, he has a conversation at a well with a Samaritan woman. This woman wants a drink of water. A conversation ensues in which Jesus tells this woman that he is the water that she actually needs. This is what he says. Everyone who drinks well water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again because the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we have this picture of Jesus as the only real source of the heart's satisfaction. Now let's go back to the pool. Here's a man who thinks that the pool water is what he needs, not knowing that Jesus himself is the only water that will truly satisfy him. Now this whole metaphor is a reference to Psalm 32, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul thirsts for God. The suggestion again is that everything else will ultimately disappoint you, but not God. Why? because God is the only person capable of unconditional love. God will never move away from you. He'll never change his mind about you. He'll never get bored with you. He'll never become codependent with you in which he only tells you he loves you because he needs you to affirm him back. All the things that human beings do to one another do not apply to God which means that at the deepest level, what our hearts need, really the only thing that can ever really give them satisfaction is a relationship with God. You see, this little story of the man at the pool is actually a story about our deepest needs as human beings. What does healing really entail? At the deepest level, true healing is putting God first. What happens when you put God first? What happens is that everything else falls in line. You love people, but you don't make them your God. You can acknowledge that people have hurt you in the past, but you don't wallow in that hurt because your heart is now resting in the only love that is unconditional, and so you stop needing so much from other people. I mean, you realize that they can't give you what you need in the first place, even if all of your enemies suddenly apologized. Imagine that it still wouldn't give you what your heart most needs. And so that means you can be more empathetic with people because when you don't need so much from people, you can be a lot more understanding of them. You can start to see them more lovingly and it all comes down to desire. Do you wanna be healed? Because if you do, God is there. 
In fact, God comes to you. This is another aspect of the story. This man doesn't seek out Jesus. He's lying by the pool, stuck. Jesus comes to him. What does that tell you? That it's all grace. The man doesn't do anything to earn this healing. He doesn't seek out Jesus. He didn't ask him to heal him. He didn't acknowledge Jesus as Lord. He didn't even thank him afterwards. I think that shows us that God's love is always right there. It's always available. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to do anything to create it. All you have to do, listen to this, is want it more than anything else. Psalm 37 has a beautiful description of this process. It says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Again, it's all about desire. And when you find this desire within you, it's not oppressive, it's liberating because the psalmist says, take delight in the Lord. Delight. Feeling delight is a feeling of freedom. It's what people feel when they have been freed from a prison of victim mentality and they realize that all life is grace and they are freed to love and to be loved. And so I leave you with the question that Jesus posed the man at the pool. Do you want to be made well? Let us end in prayer. God, we have built up so many defenses against you. Sometimes we try to take down our defenses one brick at a time. Help us instead to find our desire for you, knowing that that alone is what sets us free. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.